In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Follow me. These two words say all there is to be said this Sunday and every Sunday and every day for the church. Follow me. We're speaking of vocation, which means calling, which means I call, you listen, I lead, you follow, follow me, which means vocation, not vacation, as the church seems so often to be seduced into believing. The church which sees so often her dominion extend not just from one Sunday to another, but only from Sunday at nine to Sunday at noon. The church which so often sees the Christian way as a leisure activity pursued on weekends, leaving the world well lost for a few moments in the rarefied and spiritualized air beyond the local chapels of ease. No, vocation means calling, it also means work, the work of a lifetime lived in the world. And it suggests that God is at work when we are at work in the world and at work in getting us to work not just when and where in the world, but to the work itself which provides our daily bread in the world, the specific task which that calling is calling us to do. Follow me. Jesus calls Philip, and Philip and Jesus call Nathaniel to follow, to pursue the new calling which Jesus is giving them, to pack up what he was doing and move on just as God summoned Abraham in that original calling to forsake all he had sought and found and set off with his family for a far and for an unknown country. Follow me. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We have found the one we have sought, he is saying, even without knowing it. We have found and we have been found by the one who sought us, knowing it to be his calling from before the world began. Can anything come from Nazareth, anything good, the disciples ask themselves, freshly struck, newly minted, and in some sense shaking the dust from their feet and the cobwebs from their eyes as they survey the world anew and the new world very much askew from that which they've been called to do. Because even though wise men in all of Israel have been waiting for Jesus, they've been waiting for someone they don't expect. And when he arrives, he takes that whole grand narrative, turns it on its head, and lurches off at 180 degrees. They don't know that yet. And so they follow. They go from house to house, from neighborhood to neighborhood, following Jesus. This pattern we see in the first of the four books of the Kings, 1 Samuel. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Vocation comes by vision, we are told, and by audition. The word comes by seeing, 
Hearing comes by looking. God speaks directly to his servants, too, one by one, one on one, unmediated by prophet, priest, or king. There's plenty for the community to do, let me codify. But God reserves the right to speak to anyone he wants, one on one. And the voice that the one may hear may fall on another's deaf ears. Eli, the priest, the one who we would be most expected to be attuned to that voice, even though he is camped out in the Holy of Holies itself, the place you would expect the God of Israel to home right in on when he comes back, can neither see nor hear the Holy One himself. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Here's the pattern. The Lord is calling Samuel, the child. He's not calling Eli the priest, and Eli the priest is not calling Samuel. Eli doesn't hear, but the child Samuel, hearing, thinks that it is Eli who has called. Samuel, we are told, did not yet know the Lord, know the sound of his master's voice. Before tonight is over, he will know the Lord. Eli, who is now deaf to it, knows this much. Still, how to tell others to recognize it for what it is. The voice of God, not a man. Not God through a man, God to man or woman or child. Human distinctions, power and privilege matter not at all to God. He speaks to whomever he will. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. There's a lot in here that Eli somehow knew, not from experience, we presume, but he knew to pass it on. When the Lord returns to his temple, everyone in Israel is waiting for, he will expect to find you not working, but waiting. Go lie down, says Eli. Empty your mind, get ready to sleep. Surrender all activity, clear your mind of all the day's doings, all the concerns, all the things you plan to do tomorrow. Let it all go. Go into that deepest level of being that the mystics knew, because the mystics knew that that's where you meet God, one on one, maybe even in a dream. It's like dying, being dead to the world. And when he calls, he calls you by your name. And when he calls you by your name, you don't say, over here, here I am, come and get me. He knows where you are. God is not here to listen. You are. No, you get up. You start groping through the darkness, listening. You go to him. You say, speak, Lord, speak, please speak louder. Please say it again. I'm listening. Your servant is waiting for your words of instruction. I'm poised and ready to act. You shut up, in other words, and listen. Not come to me, then, as we imagine whenever we open our lips in prayer. Lord, I got something to tell you. No. Where are you, Lord? I've been waiting for this. I'm on my way wherever you are. I'm on the move. We're not transmitters, in other words. 
we've been located. We're receivers. But let me qualify that. We have a little beacon in us, and it's flashing away. I'm lost, I'm lost, I'm lost. And that's the one message that the God of this universe is listening for when he comes to find us. The voice within that says, I'm lost, I'm lost. Please find me, Lord. And the message is only beginning as we, held captive by God's Spirit, begin our walk with him again. Vocation, then. Now, our vocation is our work, or so we pray. And if it's not, then we pray to take the work we've been given and make it our vocation. The work we do for others, the work we do that they cannot do, which is our reason for living with the gifts that we've been given, but they have not. We're individuals, and we exist for one another to work together seamlessly, harmoniously, integrally. But that does not relieve each and every one of us of having to listen, each and every one of us, for God. He'll speak to us through everyone else. But again and again, the Bible shows us that truth is not a majority opinion. As Pope Benedict said, God more often makes his way to us through that one person who will listen and tune out the noise of the world around him. Mob psychology plays no positive role in God's history of salvation whatsoever. We've spoken then about work, the need to stay on task with our work by listening, listening, listening. But over and above all this, over the horizon beyond which every day the sun sets on our daily work, we surrender to a different rhythm. Not the breath of life, but a different rhythm of life and death of life after death, of life after life after death. Vocation is not what we're called to do tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. In a deeper sense, vocation is that one call which we hear before we're out of our mother's womb, the call that calls us home, the call that is calling all of us homeward. The vocation that sets us homeward bound in this world, and we are in it and of it, but we are making of it something that nothing or no one in this world can see. But the God who made this world, who set it in our minds and in our souls and in our imaginations, the thing he is calling us to do, to come home, but not to come home alone, to bring as many with us, as we may, to follow him, to lead the way, but as we make our way back to him, to see all the saints who have gone ahead of us, who should be in our sights as we make our way back to God. Go lie down, and if he calls you, if he calls you, if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant Years. At the end of all our labors, 
Our vocation begins again at a place and a time not of our choosing when we put down the load we bear for the last time and lie down on that hard ground and wait for that final sleep and hope for that call. We wait to hear our name and hear our Lord say the words, well done, you good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I spoke these words on Friday to Gosha Stiff as she took a pause from her waiting. She's been given one or two more weeks before the Lord takes her home. And it's been a long wait. And it's been a wait filled with work with always going back into her vocation of reaching souls with the Lord's calling. She's ready to go home now. And she took a pause from her waiting, waiting on her Lord to speak some encouragement to me, who had come to encourage her, and that's always how this goes. You go to encourage but the saints who are wiser and deeper and more faithful speak the encouragement back to us. And through me, she asked, to all of you, her community. I would like to say a few words to my friends at All Souls, she said. Okay, I said, how, how should we do that? Could I write them a letter, she said. You could. When would you want this letter to be shared? We will pray over that. We will tell you tomorrow, she said, and she did. There was the letter, and she said, could you share the letter, Father Martin, tomorrow? So I hear the Lord speaking, and I obey. These are her words, and then I'm done. Dear sisters and brothers at All Souls, many of you might not be aware of the miracle that the Lord did for us. I have been in home hospice care. By the beginning of December, my condition had deteriorated such that we were fairly sure that I would not make it until Christmas. But before Christmas, the Lord revived me. By his grace and strength, I was able to participate in our family's Christmas celebration with our whole family gathered around our table. A week ago, my condition began deteriorating again with signs of organ failure. I write to make sure that I have a chance to thank the church family for your ministry in our lives. When we came to All Souls for the first time about five years ago, we were strangers, and you took us in, Matthew 25, 35. During our first two years as part of this church family, we were still on the mission field in Eastern Europe. Through the church's prayers and support, you participated in the work that God blessed. Let me say that again. You 
us, we, participated in the work that God blessed and that yielded fruit in the form of hundreds of new churches being planted, most often in towns and villages where there had been none. When we came back home, off and on for various reasons, we always knew we had a home church that welcomed us. Three and a half years ago, I was diagnosed with my fourth cancer, after 20 years of fighting, may I add, and given less than six months to live. But by God's grace and through your prayers, God extended my life such that I was able to see our last three granddaughters born. The friendships that I was able to develop through the women's Bible study and through the Wednesday evening soup and fellowship times have buoyed me up through these years of chemo. Most importantly, the love, care, and concern that has been demonstrated through meals, visits, and prayers have been vital during this time when I cannot care for myself. You have fulfilled the law of Christ, Galatians 6.2, by helping us carry our burdens. Roy and I have often talked about how we are not deserving of all the help given to us. We are grateful for God's providence that led us to all souls. Our lives have been enriched, and we have grown spiritually during our time here. I thank you with all my heart.